Well, good morning. It's great to be together wherever you are this morning. We're so glad you've decided to join us for worship this morning. I'm actually here on our campus where uh, more and more of us have been gathering uh, together to worship. It's just been awesome. And so if you're able, I want to encourage you to, to go ahead and, uh, and make that jump, break the habit, get out of the PJs, come and worship with us. Uh, we'll continue to provide online worship services, but it's been so great to be together. Uh, but wherever you are this morning, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand as we read from the gospel this morning. Our gospel uh, reading comes from John chapter 17 and starts in verse 13. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you this morning and we are in desperate need uh, to be reminded of your truth and your grace through your word. And so, Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive all that you want to give us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we kind of turn and head into the fall, um, as things I think are going to get con- uh, increasingly kind of contentious and divisive, I really thought it would be important for us to immerse ourselves in what God's Word has to say uh, uh, to us about living in a world that is confusing and challenging and even hostile to our faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next six weeks or so in the book of Daniel. We kicked it off last week, and we're going to continue in Daniel 1 this week. Um, And and we're not going to have time to get to everything in Daniel. So I want to encourage you to spend time reading through Daniel yourself. You might want to join a life group. It's a great opportunity to connect with people. You can do it online where you're getting into the Word and you're talking about and discussing it and what it means for for your life as well. And so I just encourage you to check that out. You can find out more about life groups on apostleshouston.org. And there's some great resources there if you want to do kind of a deeper dive into the book of Daniel. But, but I think this book is so important for us right now. And one of the reasons is because one of the key questions that emerges from the book of Daniel is how do we navigate a culture that is hostile to faith in God? How do we navigate a culture that's hostile to our faith in God? That's what Daniel and his friends were facing. Uh, And and we discover this in chapter 1, that Daniel and his friends were facing a a brand of hostility called enculturation. Now, enculturation is basically uh, when you take someone uh, and they're pressured to take on the language and the values and the rituals of a surrounding culture. And so that's what happens to Daniel and his friends. They receive uh, Babylonian names that are associated with Babylonian gods. They learn the language and the literature of Babylon. They're educated for three years. They're given the, the king's food. And all of this is designed, uh, and the intent is to take them from being good Israelites into becoming good Babylonians. And this was common in, in, in the ancient world. It was a common practice, and it worked. It worked because uh, the process was so thorough and and so relentless that it immersed you in and enticed you um, to embrace a a new reality, a new identity. 
And so enculturation uh, is what happened to Daniel, and enculturation happens today. Um, it's happening to us all the time. Uh, whether we realize it or not, we are constantly being encouraged, in other words, to adopt the language, values, and rituals of, of the world, uh, the world in which we live, that is set against God and his kingdom. And so while Babylon's goal was to take good Israelites and turn them into good Babylonians, uh, we live in a world whose goal is to take followers of Jesus and turn us into followers of the world. And so, again, the question is, how do we navigate a culture that is hostile to faithfully following Jesus? And so to do that, I want to look this morning at Daniel chapter 1. So if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to start in Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. So let me read for us. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has signed your food and drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the same time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So again, how do we navigate our culture uh, that is hostile uh, to our faith in Jesus? So I want to suggest what we see here in, in Daniel 1 offers three answers to that question. And the first is this, that we need to engage rather than withdraw. We need to engage rather than withdraw. It's important that Daniel drew a line. We see that in verse 8. He drew a line with food. But it's easy to miss that Daniel and his friends were willing to accept a lot of Babylonian culture without any pushback. Uh, it's actually surprising uh, when you begin to look at the fact that they accepted pagan names, they took on pagan education, they took on pagan political appointments in the service of a pagan king. All these things uh, they did without rejecting any of it. And so you you're kind of left thinking, well, surely if they were faithful, they would have said no, right, at some point here to one of these things. But in fact, they don't. Uh, it, and it's shocking, in fact, to see how much they accommodated to Babylonian culture. And there's, there's no hint here in the story that this was some kind of moral failing or that they lacked courage. And so while eventually they, they do take a stand, they didn't seem to take a stand against everything, uh, they let some things go, and they challenged other things. In other words, 
Daniel and his friends, they didn't just shut down. They didn't withdraw. They, they chose to actually engage with Babylonian culture. You see, the temptation to withdraw for them would have been real. Uh, they could have settled into this kind of simplistic dualism to, to make everything either for or against uh, them as Israelites living in exile. Uh, they could have made it all us and them. But Daniel didn't do that. He didn't cross his arms and say no to everything. He chose to work hard, to engage, to, to take on wisdom, to, to seek and take advantage of the opportunities that God gave him. And so he chose to live faithfully to God and to engage with the culture. He was, he was choosing to do both. And so if Daniel, living in exile uh, in an overtly pagan and oppressive empire can accomplish bringing those two things together. I think so can we. We can be faithful to God and wisely navigate and engage with our culture. You know, I believe the church today is actually um, really struggling with what I would describe as the fruit of a withdrawal mentality. Uh, That over uh, the last several generations, we actually kind of cultivated a withdrawal mentality in the church. Uh, And we don't actually know how to engage effectively with the world. Uh, we've given in to the temptation to withdraw. We've settled into this simplistic dualism and are all too willing to disengage from the bad world out there and try to create some version of a safe Christian bubble. And, and it shapes the way that we, we think, the way that we think and engage in terms of things like politics and, and, and socially, the church, even in our personal lives. And so it's easy, I think, to find ourselves in a Christian bubble, and it takes all kinds of forms. But this idea, some have called it kind of the idea of a Christian ghetto, means that we're relationally kind of insulated from the world. We're disengaged from the world. Uh, my friend, uh, Gary Jones, who uh, has such a heart for evangelism, he's pointed this out before, that one of the biggest impediments for most of us in terms of sharing our faith is that most Christians don't actually have any meaningful relationship with a non-Christian. And so I think that just illustrates kind of the fruit of this withdrawal mentality. I think we're all tempted to withdraw, especially as our culture becomes more hostile and more difficult to navigate. But the thing is, as followers of Jesus, we can't be disengaged. We, like Daniel, have to engage our culture. In fact, God, he commands us to engage with the world. In John 17, the verses we just read, Jesus says to his followers and to us, as you sent me, as God sent me into the world, he says, so I have sent them. He's sending us into the world. God sent Jesus and God sends us into the world. Why? Because he cares about the world. God cared about Babylon. I think it's easy to miss when you're reading through Daniel. God actually cares about Babylon. He spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and he said, seek the welfare of the city of Babylon where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see, God cares about our culture. He cares about our world and he has sent us into the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus uh, into a world that desperately needs that good news. And so all this should get us thinking It should get us thinking, have we opted out of too much as the church? Have we artificially divided uh, the world into kind of secular and and sacred categories? A a concept that honestly is completely foreign to the Bible and completely foreign to God. It it should force us to ask questions like, do I uh, care enough about the world to actually engage with the world as a follower of Jesus? 
at work, with my neighbors, with my classmates, um, with our society, politically, socially, economically. God sends us into the world every day to engage with it, not to withdraw, not to hide, not to kind of create our own Christian bubble, but to engage with the world for the sake of the gospel. And so how do we navigate a culture hostile to faithfully following Jesus? We, we engage rather than withdraw. But that puts us at risk, right? It puts us at risk of, of compromise, which is why the second thing uh, that we need to do to navigate culture is we have to draw the line rather than compromise. Uh, draw the line rather than compromise. In verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Daniel engaged, uh, but at some point he had to draw the line. Now, what's interesting is, is, is the question, why did he draw the line here? Um, the truth is we're not told in, in the story. It could be because the book of Leviticus outlines for the Jewish people that certain foods are off limits according to God's law. It could be because this food for the king that they were supposed to um, share in had been offered to idols. And so for Daniel, that was an unacceptable compromise. We're not told why, and ultimately, I think it's because that's not really the point in the story. The point is that at some point, Daniel drew a line, and so must we. We must draw a line somewhere. Now, the truth is that some of us love to draw lines. We love drawing lines. We, we like to think of the world in terms of black and white, and so every decision is a matter of principle. Uh, and if we'd been in Daniel's shoes, um, the truth is we would have drawn lots of lines way before Daniel ever got to drawing a line about the food. Now, just a, a word uh, for, for those of us who think that way. I think we have to be careful um, because those of us who love to draw lines, we can actually set ourselves up in perpetual opposition to culture, uh, inclined to withdraw instead of engage. And we can be prone to judge others, right? Judge those who uh, are even are followers of Jesus because they draw the lines in different places uh, than we do. But many of us, we actually have the opposite problem. We, we never draw the line. Um, we know there should be a line. Um, we know that as followers of Jesus, our lives should look different. And we may even give lip service to that fact. But when the moment comes, um, we give ground. We accommodate. We, we, we choose to blend in. We compromise. And maybe it's out of fear of being criticized or ostracized, publicly shamed, whatever it is, we choose not to take a stand. And so when you look at our lives as followers of Jesus, there's actually little difference between our lifestyle and the way our friends who aren't following Jesus are choosing to live. And I would say right now, the pressure to compromise is overwhelming for some of us. Uh, And rather than endure it, uh, many of us kind of, we do, we compromise, and we, we come up with all kinds of reasons to validate why we choose to compromise. Um, it's just this once. I'll eventually say something. Um, no one's going to know. Is that really what the Bible says? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. All these kinds of excuses, really, for why we might compromise. But we have to draw the line. Notice that when Daniel draws the line, he's not being kind of like pie in the sky or idealistic here. He's being very earthy, very on the ground. He's very practical and pragmatic. In fact, when the official comes to Daniel and expresses his concern, Daniel does what? He begins to negotiate with him. Daniel's trying to navigate living in Babylon as a man of faith. And so he says, hey, let's, let's try this out and see what happens. 
And I think, too, notice that Daniel didn't draw the line by being belligerent or kind of getting up on a soapbox. Uh, he, he drew the line not by making a demand, but asking, really, can, can you help me with this? And he did all of that knowing full well it could cost him his life. But he drew a line. And so I want to ask, have you drawn any lines? And if you haven't, it may be that you've compromised, that your loyalty to, to the things in this world have actually outweighed your loyalty to Jesus. The Lord Jesus says that we live in the world, but that we are not of this world. And we need to remember that. Now, I can't tell you where to draw the line, but I can tell you that you have to draw it somewhere. You have to decide. You have to decide what is right. And you have to say this far and no further. Just to get real practical, just a few examples. You know, maybe it's with alcohol. You need to draw the line. I have a friend who's... Um, he doesn't drink alcohol, and it's not because he struggles with an addiction with alcohol. It's because when he drinks, the way that it kind of makes him talk and think and act, he just doesn't like it. doesn't feel right or in line with who he feels called to be in Jesus. And he's not making this decision or making a big stand on it or trying to convince other people. It's just where he's drawn the line. So he still goes out with friends, and when they drink, he just doesn't. And so that's where he's chosen to draw the line. You know, maybe some of you need to draw a line with social media. I've had lots of friends who had to make rules about if and when they use social media for all kinds of reasons. Uh, Drawing a line for who you'll vote for uh, or on a certain issue. Um, These are all things that we have to think through and, and think carefully through. And we do have to draw Lines, But I think we have to keep in mind that the, the reality is that those lines won't be the same for everyone. And we need to remember that. Uh, sometimes we draw lines and we think everyone else should draw the same line that we did. But short of being absolutely clear in Scripture, there should be a lot of grace. Uh, we don't pass judgment and we don't put up stumbling blocks uh, for one another. So this has to be marked by a great deal of grace. But you have to draw lines. We all have to be willing to draw Lines. Otherwise, you will compromise. So how do we navigate a culture that's hostile to our faith? We engage rather than withdraw. We draw the line rather than compromise. And then finally, we trust God is greater rather than live in fear. We trust that God is greater rather than live in a place of fear. You know, it's interesting. Daniel and his friends, they've been taken into exile, right? Within a few years of being taken out of Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar goes back to the city and he He just destroys the temple. And the temple symbolized the place of God's holy presence. And in the ancient world, when one people defeated another people that way, when one kingdom conquered another kingdom, what it meant was that kingdom's gods had defeated the other kingdom's gods. And so what's happened here is that Israel has fallen, but not just Israel. It means that God has been proven to be powerless to stop the gods of Babylon. And so for Daniel... And everything and everyone around them was, was telling them right, that their God had abandoned them or, or that God was powerless to save them. So it would have been easy for them to, to lose faith. It would have been easy for them to, to maybe give up on God and, and to, to ultimately live in fear. And, and I just want to say, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe just your circumstances and all you're facing, I mean, just with all that's going on in the world, but also in our, our lives, maybe you're struggling to feel like there's any hope. Your circumstances are telling you that God's given up on you or that, uh, that you're on your own or that, that life is just 
your life is just too broken and too messed up for God to really redeem. And I just want to say to you this morning that that's not true. It wasn't true for Daniel, and it's not true for you, and it's not true for me. Is Daniel in exile? Yes. Had God uh, allowed his judgment to fall on Israel for being unfaithful and allowed them to be taken into captivity? Yes. But has God been defeated? No. Has God been proven powerless? No. Has God abandoned his people? No. He is not. From start to finish, what we see here in Daniel is that God is in total control. Look with me at Daniel 1, verse 2. It says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Daniel 1, 9 says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And then again in verse 17, it says, God gave them learning and skill and all literature, wisdom, and Daniel had understanding of all visions and dreams. You see, God keeps giving and giving and giving. God's still there, and He's still in control. He's still with His people. He is, he is over all of it. In fact, as we'll see throughout Daniel, God demonstrates again and again and again, despite what circumstances may say, He is greater. He's greater than all the kings and all the kingdoms of the world and all of their gods. And so even when things look their darkest, we must remember that God is greater. He's greater than the world, and we know that. How do we know that? We know that because of the cross. See, on the cross, it looked like Jesus was defeated, like he was killed by the powers of the world and the kingdom of darkness. But the cross was not a defeat. It was a victory. It was a victory over evil and sin and death. And it's an eternal declaration to the world that God is greater and we have nothing to fear. So there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear in the world right now. And many of us may feel that. We feel uncertain, we feel anxious, we feel afraid about the future and what it holds. The Proverbs remind us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, it says, put God first. Keep Him God of your life. Make Him the greatest thing in your life. The world thinks to put God first is crazy. To make Him the greatest in your life is crazy. The world says, why make lines? Why draw lines at all? Why risk rejection? Why sacrifice anything? Why risk comfort or safety or acceptance? Just keep on the right side of the powers of the world. Keep on the right side of history and set aside your your conscience. And don't worry about what God wants. That's what the world says to us. And, And honestly, at times it may sound safer and less costly, but it is a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie because God is great. And he does reign, even in Babylon, even in exile, even when things are at their worst. God is great, and he will never leave us. He's promised to never forsake us. He is always for us, always willing and ready to forgive, and always working for our good and for his glory. And so how do we navigate a culture that's hostile to our faith? We engage rather than withdraw. We draw the line rather than compromise. And then finally, we trust God is greater We trust that God is greater rather than live in fear. As we close, I just want to share a story. And it's a story that I think I've shared before, but I just find it so compelling and relevant. I want to share it again. Biographer Charles Marsh, he recounts this story of when a man named Wilhelm Niesel came and visited Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Finkenwald, Germany. And it's a town where Bonhoeffer had started this underground seminary during the Nazi regime. And Uh, Marsh describes that the two of these men went rowing. And this is what he said when they went went out on the river. It says, when the two rowers reached the farthest shore, Bonhoeffer led Niesel up a small hill 
to a clearing from which they could see in the distance a large field and the runways of the nearby squadron. German fighter planes were taking off and landing, and soldiers were moving hurriedly and purposefully around like so many ants. Bonhoeffer spoke of a new generation of Germans that were training, whose disciplines were formed for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. It would be necessary, he explained, to propose a superior discipline if the Nazis were to be defeated. We have to be stronger than these tormentors that we find everywhere today. Commenting on this story, John Tyson said this. He said, Bonhoeffer was a pastor of unflinching loyalty to the cross, who stood as a prophetic sign to the world. On the side of the river, overlooking massing Nazi troops, he stood in the shadow of eternity, a man of convictions and a man of contrast. What he was doing had to be stronger than what Hitler was doing with his army. Discipleship must be stronger than cultural formation. Loyalty must be stronger than compromise. Church, I really believe we are standing at a crossroads, and we must remain unflinchingly loyal to the cross. There are a myriad of forces uh, that are competing for our, our allegiance and working to entice us with worldly power and offering all kinds of false hope. And in this moment, with God's help, we must stand as a prophetic sign in the world. And so our discipleship to Jesus must be stronger than the world's enculturation. Our loyalty to Jesus must be stronger than compromise. And our faith in a great God must be greater than our fear. Let me pray. Jesus, this morning, we we ask that you would help us to follow you in this cultural moment. Holy Spirit, fill us and empower us with wisdom and, and courage and strength that we need to navigate our culture right now. Without you, Lord, we'll withdraw, we'll compromise, we'll live in fear. But God, you are great, greater than he was in the world. And you love us and are for us. And so Lord, help us to engage, to draw the line, to walk in faith, and to not walk in fear. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.